I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. COVID cases are breaking records almost every day across the Bay Area. The region is averaging well over 10,000 new cases daily, and that's more than double the peak of last winter's surge. Are you feeling deep pandemic fatigue? You're not alone. Schools are struggling to stay open. Testing resources remain sparse. Hospitals are getting hit hard. All of this may make it easy for that fatigue to turn into despair. Then there was an announcement this week that sounded like 2020. Sonoma County is advising all residents to shelter in place as much as possible for the next 30 days. Shelter in place. Those three words are enough to make it feel like this pandemic is a constant game of two steps forward and one step back. But we are not back in 2020. We have vaccines, and now there are antiviral pills on the market, and those might give us more than just two steps forward in the near future. Chronicle Healthcare reporter Catherine Ho is here to talk about why antiviral pills could mean a huge shift in the pandemic, especially for overworked hospitals. Later, Catherine's colleague and fifth emission friend Aaron Alday will join us to talk about why Sonoma County decided to issue that new shelter-in-place recommendation and what it means for the rest of the Bay Area. Let's start with Catherine Ho. Catherine, thanks for joining me on Fifth Emission. Explain to me why some people, including UCSF's Dr. Bob Wachter, are calling these antiviral pills a potential game changer. How do they work? Yeah, so the reason why these pills are being uh, hailed as potential game changers is they're given to you um, before you kind of get to the stage in the virus where you become super, super ill. Um, So you need to take them um, within the first five days of um, testing positive or feeling um, symptoms, ideally. And um, at least the Pfizer pill works very well to kind of prevent those symptoms from worsening and landing you in the hospital, basically. And who are they intended for? And why could it be so impactful for another record-breaking surge that we may experience like the one we are currently in with Omicron? Yeah, so they're meant for, right now at least, um, people who are kind of at the highest risk for developing very severe symptoms. So that includes if you are severely immunocompromised, for example, and you either did not get vaccinated or got vaccinated, but probably didn't, you know, mount an immune response to vaccination. You know, right now the unvaccinated are at the highest risk for getting really bad COVID symptoms. So if you're unvaccinated and you have um, other comorbidities, for example, diabetes or underlying heart conditions, this pill would be for you as well. And, and you know, right now the pills are just in such limited supply, so they're kind of reserved for the very, very highest risk, but that may change later if the supply gets a little better. So right now the two pills on the market are from Pfizer and Merck. They were just authorized a few weeks ago. Why do they differ from current COVID-19 therapies uh, that we that we have in the hospitals right now? Right now, if you are already hospitalized, you can get something called remdesivir, which is an IV treatment. There's one monoclonal antibody, which is also an IV treatment. But the issue with the treatments before the pills came out was you have to either be in a hospital or you have to go to an infusion clinic to get those. And for a lot of people, there are limitations to access if you have to kind of get yourself somewhere. Um, And the thing with the pills, it was, you know, just supposed to be a lot more accessible, a lot 
easier if you could just go pick up the pills at a pharmacy and then take them at home for a few days. So how are the Pfizer and Merck pills different from each other? Um, Do they have a lot of differences in terms of efficacy? Yeah, so right now the Pfizer pill uh, is kind of considered the first first choice for doctors who are prescribing this because um, the efficacy, at least from the clinical trials, is a lot better. So the Pfizer pill reduces hospitalization and deaths among unvaccinated people by about 80% um, versus the Merck pill reduces by about 30%. Mm-hmm. So it also sounds like one caveat with this is that the pills have to be taken within the first five days of symptoms, like you mentioned. So is it fair to say that taking this pill goes hand in hand with testing capabilities in our local communities, which is really hard right now during this Omicron surge? Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, as uh, we've heard from a lot of our our readers and listeners, it's really, really hard to get a test, especially on the same day or sometimes even within the week. Um, And if you do get that appointment, it'll take at least a couple days to get results back. And so when you think about that five-day timeline, it's really not a lot of time. Um, so this this is definitely a challenge in, in trying to get the pills out to people quickly enough, at least right now during this surge when, um, you know, testing demand is just so high. And so because supply is such a big problem right now, like you've mentioned, who right now could get their hands on these pills and how would they go about doing that? Yeah, so right now there are probably a handful of pharmacies in each, at least Bay Area County, that are getting allocated these pills. Um, As far as patients go, you have to be kind of in those categories we talked about. You have to be really, really high risk. Um, And the way you would do it is it requires a prescription. So you would have to contact your provider or the pharmacy um, directly. Um, At least that's the way it works right now. And what are the current main barriers to these manufacturing and supply issues you're talking about? And is the government trying to fix them? Could it like an operation warp speed strategy here work? Yeah, so the main um, the main holdup, at least with the Pfizer pill, is that it just takes several months to produce it. It's, um, you know, it's a complicated molecule. Um, and, you know, Pfizer has said um, they will double the number of pills they're producing for the U.S. by, I believe it was the fall, but it takes those, you know, six, seven months to kind of get their hands on the raw materials and just go through the process of manufacturing it. We're hearing so much about how hospitals are overwhelmed right now. Does it seem like we've just missed the opportunity for these pills to benefit us right now during this Omicron surge then? Yeah, I, I do think that window is is quickly closing, um, at least if we look at some of the modeling, the worst of the Omicron surge, you know, we should peak by the end of January. Um, and we probably will not get a lot more pills, at least until March and beyond. We probably won't get them in time to make a huge dent in the current surge. Um, but for future surges, if they happen, um, you know, hopefully we'll have more on hand by then. The Omicron variant has highlighted, again, the vulnerability of the unvaccinated population, but these pills really shouldn't be seen as an alternative to vaccinations, right? These pills aren't a replacement for actually getting the jabs. 
That's right. So vaccination is still the, you know, the first line of defense against COVID. Um, and, you know, the doctors I've spoken to have really emphasized that, you know, they don't want people to view treatments as a reason not to get vaccinated. So, Kat, we could all use some good news right now. Should the pills be a sign of hope or just another reason to groan at our COVID infrastructure again with supply distribution being such a problem? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I do think, actually, it, this is reason um, to be optimistic. You know, I think there are a lot of similarities with the kind of obstacles with the pill rollout, as we saw with the vaccine rollout, at least in the beginning, there just was not enough of it, right? And it took time to really ramp up and get it out to everyone who needed it or wanted it. But eventually we got there. You know, there are now more than enough vaccines um, for everyone at least in this country, most people who get COVID are probably not going to need treatment. Having a treatment, especially an oral pill, is is great, is a great option that um, we couldn't even have imagined, right, this time last year, and certainly not at the start of the pandemic. Um, so I think that is reason alone to be optimistic. Catherine Ho reports on healthcare for The Chronicle. You can find her story about the supply of antiviral pills in the Bay Area at sfchronicle.com or on the Chronicle app. After a quick break, I'll be joined by Chronicle health reporter Aaron Alday. We'll chat about why Sonoma County decided to issue a new shelter-in-place recommendation and what it may mean for the rest of the Bay Area. Health reporter Aaron Alday joins me now. Aaron, we just heard from Kat Ho why new antiviral pills should spell some optimism for us, even if they won't make a dent in this COVID surge. And now this surge has prompted Sonoma County to recommend residents to shelter in place. This all sounds very 2020. Tell me how they arrived at this decision. Well, first of all, I know it does sound very 2020. That was my first (laughs) thought, too. It's really not. Um, And, you know, Sonoma County will be the first to tell you that. First of all, I mean, it's just it's a recommendation, right? It's not an order. They're not requiring people to stay at home. And I think, you know, a lot of the counties would probably generally agree that they want people to stay home and and avoid those kind of contacts as much as possible. But obviously, the other thing that's very different is that none of the other counties are planning to follow Sonoma County's lead. So I've talked Mm -hmm. with all of the counties now, all nine in the Bay Area. And they're very distinctly not doing what Sonoma County has said. They they don't think that it will help with this surge. Um, and they don't think it's nece- necessary given our high vaccination rates. So no, Sonoma County does, you know, somewhat stand alone there, which I think people should be reassured by both in Sonoma County and across the Bay Area. But as far as what this is, you know, like I said, it's, it's a recommendation. They're basically just kind of asking people keep to your home, keep to your family unit, um, go to school, go to work, you know, do your grocery shopping if you need to, whatever is kind of essential. They should be, you know, maybe not going to the gym, maybe not going to to eat indoors at restaurants, even if those things remain open. So that's, that's really kind of what they're advising. And then on top of that, they are banning outright um, large gatherings. So that's 50 or more people inside or 100 or more people outside. So how would businesses and schools be affected by what Sonoma County is saying now? Is it just kind of encouraging people to stay away? We know that businesses are taking such a huge hit right now across the Bay Area. Yeah, I think that that's a really key question with how the businesses are going to be impacted. Most businesses are exempt from the gathering aspect. So businesses that are that are open and just doing normal business. So like shopping malls, restaurants, um, I, I think even sort of some entertainment centers, you know, they're exempt from this. So there's no capacity limits. They can have, 
you know, 60 people eating indoors at a restaurant if your if your restaurant serves that many people. But obviously, you have a county telling people stay home, that's going to impact their business. On the other hand, a lot of businesses already, as I'm sure you're well aware, and, and we've reported, are experiencing major problems just staying open due to their own staffing issues, right? Because mm-hmm. so many people are sick, or have been or in quarantine because they've been exposed to the coronavirus. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of tough to say how much this particular recommendation will affect those businesses, but it, it certainly can't be welcome to them. We know schools are being really hit hard right now. How is this latest recommendation going to apply to schools? Shortly, it does not apply to schools. So schools are exempt from this. Um, Kids are absolutely going to school. There might be some impacts on sporting events because there are some limitations on crowds and how many people can gather for a game or something. But but mostly, for the most part, schools are exempt from this this advisory or the, the ban. You mentioned that other Bay Area counties aren't going to follow Sonoma County's suit. So what data points did the county use to make this recommendation? Is there something different happening in Sonoma versus other counties in the Bay Area? You know, I think that's a really good question, and we're still sort of working that out. Um, You know, they definitely have seen their cases blow up even kind of sharper than a lot of other places in in the Bay Area. So I just sort of looked at their numbers recently, and and their case counts basically more than quadrupled from January 1st through January 9th. Hospital capacity is really the main thing that's driving a lot of these decisions between staffing shortages and the available ICU beds, um, how many people are hospitalized in the county. It's a relatively small county and doesn't have probably quite the same amount of hospital capacity going into this surge as, say, San Francisco or Alameda County might. So it's it's, it's a lot easier for them to kind of run into that problem and run into that problem quickly. So that, that could very well be playing into the decision that they're making now. How are hospitals in the Bay Area doing right now and what seems to be the biggest challenge for them? Is it the shortage of workers like you mentioned uh, or, you know, exposures or hospitalizations? What's what's really driving some of the burden? It's definitely the staffing shortages that I think are the biggest issue. You know, hospitalizations are about across the Bay Area are about two thirds of what they were at the peak last winter. So so basically we had, I think at the peak last winter, we had about 2,200 people hospitalized with COVID in the Bay Area. Um, and, you know, as of this moment, we're at about 1,500 um, hospitalized. So we're, we're rapidly approaching that level. But keep in mind, the cases are so much higher now, right? And so, you know... That's that's such a smaller on the one hand, that's a much smaller fraction of people becoming severely ill. And so that's a really good sign. But that also means that we approached that previous peak and we had many more people out sick because, you know, with this many cases, we all know people who are infected by now. And that's Mm -hmm. affecting these these doctors and nurses and lab techs and you know, people who clean up the the rooms, um, people, you know, the janitors and the cafeteria workers, everybody across the board in healthcare systems is impacted by this as being out sick. And so that's really the strain that they're feeling. And everybody I talk to now says that they are still in a manageable place. They're definitely, you know, holding the line and they're feeling like they're probably going to weather this all right. But it is certainly on everyone's mind. They're kind of, you know, really keeping a close eye on that. So for San Francisco, we can't expect, you know, a shelter in place recommendation anytime soon. What has Mayor Lennon Breed said about all of this? You know, at the very beginning of the pandemic, she was applauded for being very careful. And now what is she saying now? 
She's definitely saying that she sees no need for a shelter in place. Um, she has every intention of keeping things open, keeping businesses open, keeping the economy going, very much focused on keeping the schools open through this surge. I would say the priority now is is a little bit switched, right? You know, they're really leaning hard on vaccinations doing their job, which is that they're preventing the severe illness and they're keeping the hospitals from being overwhelmed. And sort of thinking that, yeah, we can we can keep up with our normal lives, right? Like we can keep living our lives, we can keep going to work, we can keep shopping and and going to movies and going to restaurants and doing the things we want to do while this virus is circulating. Um, as as the mayor has said, this is sort of our learning how to live with COVID. We're kind of in that process of figuring out how to how to coexist with it. And that's some of what we're doing now is is coexisting during a surge and figuring out what what that means and how we can do that safely. And what we've seen throughout the pandemic is that many people are just going to do what they want to do, regardless of some county recommendation. And so, Erin, I'm curious from your opinion, having covered this for so long now, do you think what Sonoma County is saying right now is the right call? Is it a messaging strategy more so than something that can actually be enforced? Well, I suspect part of the reason they didn't make it a ban is because enforcement is difficult right now. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, in fact, I did hear from several of the counties that I reached out to that part of their motivation for not recommending shelter in place or anything, you know, else, you know, in terms of bans is they didn't think they, they could enforce it at this point. And they worried that the the people kind of lack the will to to keep doing that. And so, you know, I don't know that there's anything different with Sonoma County in terms of their their public and their their public's ability or or willingness to kind of go along with their recommendations. I think the mm-hmm. the thinking is that this, you know, advising people stay at home and not requiring it is sending out, you know, one more kind of stricter message to people that we're taking this very seriously and you should too, right? So mm-hmm. If you've been kind of on the fence, if you've been thinking about, you know, going to that house party next weekend because you really want to, maybe this, you know, this advisory will make you second guess that and say, no, you know what, it's really not a good idea for me to be doing that right now. And I think they're counting on a lot of that, of this helping people make, you know, those sort of safer choices over just just this short period, just over the next month or so. Mm hmm. So how close are we to this surge being over? When we talked to UCSF's Bob Wachter last week, he said by February, we should likely be out of this surge. Is that still true? You know, I I think so. It's funny. Everybody, including myself, is so hesitant to guess on these things because Mm -hmm. we've been wrong so many times. Um, And, you know, the the state epidemiologist, Dr. Erica Pond, said, said just on Tuesday, she feels hopeful that we'll be past this in just, you know, in California statewide, you know, by the end of the month or early February. But she points out that people said with Delta, because Delta burned through India really quickly, it just wrecked total devastation across India, but it also passed through there very fast, it climbed up fast, and then went away fast. And so they were sort of expecting the same thing with Delta in the United States. And that's not how Delta played out here. We had a very kind of extended Delta wave. But Omicron mm-hmm. is very different from Delta. It does just move a lot faster. Like its incubation period is shorter. It infects people much faster. So I think that there's there is a lot to feel hopeful about that this will be over pretty quickly. I'm just not quite ready to commit to that yet. Right. Well, fingers crossed. Aaron, thank you so much for talking to me as always. Thanks so much for having me again. 
Erin Alday is a health reporter for The Chronicle. You can find her COVID-19 coverage at sfchronicle.com or on The Chronicle app. Thanks to Erin and to Catherine Ho for joining me, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening.